They say first impressions are everything. Well, in this business that we call opera, you always want to make a good impression, whether it be an introduction or an audition. In our first episode, I and the editor-in-chief of Verismo Mag, Tanisha Mitchell, would like to introduce ourselves to our listening audience, hear where we started, where we are now, and where we are going. Juicy Interludes, not your typical opera podcast. It may not be for everyone, but it just may be for that very one. I'm your host, Angela Renee Simpson. My name is Angela Renee Simpson. I am an opera singer. To be honest, I don't sing much right now, which is okay. I've been in the business over 30 years. I have not had the traditional career. My career is far from traditional. I went straight from school. I did not get my undergrad degree. I left uh, maybe about a sem- two semesters before I would graduate. And I, did, I had too much of school. I was done with school. And I decided to put myself out there in the world as an opera singer. And six months later, I got my first professional gig outside of school singing in Porgy and Bess at the Metropolitan Opera back in 1989. And from then on, how can I say this correct? It was a network. I would say networking. I made friends. Mm -hmm. Friends told me about auditions, about shows that were going on. Most of them were Porgy and Bess. I have made my career singing the role of Serena in many productions of Porgy and Bess, many productions. I made my La Scala debut singing Serena. And I've sung in just about every major opera house in the United States uh, as a principal. So I have some experience. Um, I won't say that I have, like I said, I didn't have the traditional career. I would consider myself a Verdi soprano. Um, I haven't done major Italian operas, any any major productions. I've always done, I, I've made my name in new operas that were done. I made my name in some musical theater that was done in opera, in opera houses, namely, namely Showboat. Showboat was the first Broadway musical that incorporated, uh, first of all, had Black and white actors on stage together and incorporated um, some operatic singing within. It was a little, it was Broadway singing and operatic singing. I did not go to a young artist program. I did not go through a young artist program. I went straight to work. And I have been working ever since, from one gig to the next gig to the next gig. Concerts, I've done a couple, but I've done oratorial work. And uh, now I'm in my late 50s. And I am doing other things with my voice. I am teaching. I am a voiceover actor. Those voices you hear in the commercials, that's what I do. I do juicy interludes. That's another thing that I do. And I work as a vice chair in a nonprofit. So I do myriad other things. I have not given up singing, but I'm singing is not what I'm doing right now. That's me in a nutshell. Ms. Editor-in-Chief. Oh, let's hear from you. (laughs) Hey, Ms. Angela. Well, one of the reasons why I thought you would be a great fit was the fact that you've come from an unconventional background. You're not from the typical line of, of work to get to 
the opera career. And I think that's, that's very special. Uh, I'm also an opera singer, but I don't sing by profession. What can I say that? I mean, I sing as a part of my business, Opera Talks, that began, oh gosh, geez, over seven years ago. But my main career is a librarian and an entrepreneur. And how I got my start really was being a librarian, being be, going to school to become a librarian as a musician with, with a a musical background and undergrad from Aaron Copeland School of Music, that really was a full circle for me because I got to the Metropolitan Opera by doing my library degree internship. And during that time, I learned so much. I knew that music would be a part of my life in some kind of way. I wanted to do something connected to opera but more behind the scenes. I'm a behind the scenes person anyway. So I worked in a library, public library on Long Island for years. And um, then also interning at the Metropolitan Opera and learning things behind the scenes and how the career, not only how the career works, but how productions are put together. I love to teach opera. And so I created Opera Talks in 2015 and I haven't looked back. I've done many programs for libraries, community centers, even personal parties, and even the Metropolitan Opera Guild. I put that together and it was um, a full circle moment. But I, I think that both of our experiences are important because they are unconventional. Mm -hmm. And we know, we know the inside but also we are also on the outside. You know, mine would be working at a public library where you're dealing with the general public. It's really the cross section of what the masses are. And they're not exposed to opera all the time. Uh, there've been many people that I've led to opera houses because of the fact of my teaching who've never gone before. And, and Angela, you could talk some more too about you being on the outside looking in on that side, because you've got much more experience than me in the industry and performing in the industry. You know, what, what is it like when you're dealing with people from the outside and they ask you what you do? <laughs> well, first of all, I want to say, I didn't know you went to Aaron Copeland School of Music. Yes, I anybody was at Aaron Copeland School of Music, Queens College, City University of New York. But typically any African-American opera singer, that's the first thing people say. I didn't know Black people sang opera. That is, <laughs> that's the first thing. And, and everybody hears it. Everybody who's in the business hears it. And they say, yes, we do. And they want to know more about it. Some are curious. Some are not curious. But some are curious. And of course, they always want you to prove it and sing something. Yes, and I always say no. <laughs> say no. I I do it. You know, no, I do. I no. Well, I say no because that's what I did for a living. That's my livelihood. And so, if your boss asked you to do, you know, two days of work for free and don't get paid for it, right? I was in the uh, library conference and I was really promoting uh, opera talks. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, somebody asked me and I knew it. I was like, oh man, I know they're going to ask me 
And somebody asked, well, can you just sing a little something? And, you know, I know what you mean, though. I thought of you. You have to prove it. You have to prove it. You got to prove it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought of you. I said, Angela was on my shoulder like, girl, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) My thing is this. You can find me on YouTube. You can can listen to me all day long. They're recording by my DVD. You know, the DVD I did on uh, uh, Amazon. You have played a whole bunch of evidence to hear me sing. Me having to sing for you right now is is to prove that I can sing is not my concern. So I, I, I always say that. But um, yeah, it, I get that. I didn't know Black people could sing opera. And, um, you know, people. most people that I meet have never been to an opera. They still feel it's uh, an elitist art form that it's very expensive to go and that you have to dress up to mm-hmm. go. You have to have an evening gown, a tuxedo and all this. And I just had a discussion with, um, I, I went to my high school reunion, one of my high school reunions about a month ago. And I had a discussion with a, a classmate of mine and I was telling her this. I said, you can wear what you're wearing right now and go to the opera. And they said, really? I said, yes. And find an affordable ticket and find an affordable ticket. Sometimes you going to the opera is less expensive than going to see a Broadway show. True. Now you can go. And she's like, well, I never really, she said, I never really considered even going to the opera. She said, I'm going to consider that now, now that I've spoken to you about it. I said, the synopsis, the storyline is always in the program. So you know what's going on. And the subtitles are always there for you in English. So you know what they're saying at the time. I had another friend of mine who I speak to on a weekly basis. And I asked her, had she ever been to an opera? And she said, no. And she said, I said, why? She said, well, I didn't want to go and feel stupid. Oh, yeah. I was just like, wow, wow. I, I, I was like, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not what, I mean, I get why she feels that way. Uh, but I explained to her, I said, no. It, it, she said, I don't know. I wouldn't know what's going on. I don't know what's being, I don't know the language. And I said, all that is explained to you. That's one of the things that, people they tell me they don't think they could keep up right and they could keep up with the language and the action on stage it's right. too much it's too it's a lot a lot going on right mm-hmm. um i think the met has the subtitles in the back of the seats yes they do mm-hmm. in the seats and then uh, do they still have it above the stage also i haven't seen that lately okay so it's all it's all behind the seats yeah, yeah it's a lot it's a lot of trying to keep up with because there's always some kind of action on the stage unless someone is just singing an aria so yeah. uh it's it's action and and but um and uh, it, because it's in a different language you have to read what's going on and then bring your eyes back up and it is a lot it's a lot it's a lot to take in but um, I also tell them sometimes it's not what's being said, but how it's being sung. <laughs> it's how it's being sung. It's not it's always <laughs> right. <laughs> it's how it's being sung, how and it's, it's about sung. the music. It's about the music most of the time. So you either go and you love it, or or you go and you you glad you went, but you don't really care for it, and that's okay. Yeah, and that's okay. But just go. Yeah. So we started this to bring our perspective to what we feel, what's happening in the business, what we see, what we observe, what we hear. And we're bringing this to those who are coming up, those who are in school right now, who, are, who have every intention of being in this business 
or some of those who are already in the business, emerging artists, you know, things True. like that. So True. one of the, I guess one of the biggest questions is why does our perspective matter? Oh, it, it definitely yeah, matters. Mm -hmm. And the why is the fact that we don't have any skin in the game. Right. Let's call it, as Ianla said, let's call it, call a thing a thing. You know, I, I'm a businesswoman. Opera's been good to me off stage mm -hmm. because of my own creation. A lot of things that we see and we realize are things that people could benefit from. I believe so. I believe so too, because again, we're not afraid to say something. Lots of times when you are actively working in a, in an industry, you do want to be careful with what you say, because you don't want it to affect your check. And, uh, I just think that the younger generation, I like to give to them, uh, more ideas of preparation, not even in the business, but really preparation to get to and through it with the things that we least think of. Well, we don't, we don't talk about money. We think about it, but we don't talk about it. So, but my, as perspective, my perspective, why does it matter? It may not matter to some people. My perspective may not matter to some people and that's okay. There may be some that may listen to what I have to say because of the experiences I've had. I'm hoping that I can enlighten um, those who are coming up after with some of my experiences and, and my ideas. And there may be some that don't want to have, they don't want to hear a word I have to say, and that's okay. As we have, we've uh, seen. Yeah, we've seen <laughs> some, some clap back and that was expected. That was expected. Well, you know, you know, listen, I'm not in the business of pleasing anybody. Mm -hmm. I'm in the business of sharing. Mm -hmm. And as long as I have the purest intention and heart, Right, right. I'm, not, I'm not worried with people who don't agree. You don't have to agree. Right. You don't have to agree with don't what have we, to agree. our own personal opinions and our experiences and that and right. ideas. You don't have to agree with them. And that's okay. If something that we say may maybe something that we say hits home for somebody. Yeah. For those who are saying, Well, why should your opinion man that you're not even in the business? Okay, so 30 years I was in the business. Now I'm on the outside looking in. And I'm, I'm watching, I'm watching intently as to what's, what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm getting, I'm, I'm going to give it both sides. And I always think about it, whenever I do a situation, I always think about the person, the other person's perspective. So if, if I'm doing a performance, I always think, well, what if I was sitting in the audience? What would I want to see? You know what I mean? Right, kind right, of, right. Uh, if these people have paid their money to come see me do a thing. Yeah. And so I have to do that thing to the best of my ability. So it's worth their money, worth their coin they just spent. Mm. So I always put it in that perspective, not just how, how much applause can I get? And you how know, how much, how much, yeah, how many jobs can I get? You know, because yeah. we need the jobs. We need, you know, if you're doing this, you're trying to make a living. Understood. Right. I always put it from the, when I'm on stage, I take it from the audience perspective. If I'm sitting out here and I just pay 65, 75, a hundred, sometimes $200 to come see this performance. What are you going to give me? I'm going to give you everything I got. So make it worth the, the reason why you spent that money and something you can come away uh, with a good memory from. So those who, who say that my opinion doesn't matter because I'm no longer in the business, that's their opinion. You know, you, let's, let's borrow that phrase. When you see something, say, say something. something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Something, say something. Oh yes. I'm gonna borrow that phrase. So, and I've seen a lot. 
sitting from the other side of the 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 river well i've 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 seen a lot sitting on both sides Mm -hmm. because in the industry behind the scenes learning how the business works yeah is uh and when you are aside from being a singer, because when you're a singer, there's an angst of getting on the stage. You want to show the world what you got. And I think that's such a beautiful feeling. I would never want to extinguish that in any hopeful. I would never want that. I want you to, to feel that. But you also have to understand that when that angst to get on stage, there are steps to it. And then after the steps, it's like, what do I do next? When I got to the Metropolitan Opera years ago as an intern, I didn't know. Have you ever heard of a plan artist? I never knew about a plan artist that you get paid sort of like a nine to five. You're not doing the leading roles, but you're doing like the compromarial roles and stuff like that. I didn't know any of that. There's so many levels of how you can sing. You know, one of the biggest things that there is, is that when you're in the industry, you tend to think that everybody wants that part on stage that's envied by all. But then when you're teaching people who are outside, like what you're saying, you think about the audience and what you're, the audience doesn't care about that. The audience wants to be entertained. And so I think that's why both of our perspectives are important. I'm saying that as editor in chief, Mm -hmm. they are very important because of the experience that we both had on both sides. I love the energy that the new generation gives. I really, that wanting to change and wanting to do something. Um, but oftentimes I see that, I don't know if you've seen this, but I've seen it with colleagues when they get in there, they're not the same when they come out. <laughs> I have seen that in our marketing video before, when we were talking about juicy interludes and the first one, the first side was to interview opera singers to understand who they are. And then that sense evolved into, let's look at the ones who are coming up into the world. And you mentioned something really good, Angela, the mid-career too, emerging career, excuse me, emerging career. Now you're going to teach me something. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between an emerging artist and a young artist? Tell me, because is there a difference or? Young artist program. Yeah. It's not called the emerging artist program. You know, that is so true. And I never realized that. Young artists. So so these are usually graduate students or students who have finished grad school. Mm-hmm. They are in young artist programs with certain companies. And they, they get coachings. They get voice lessons. They get to learn roles. And they get the opportunity to be on stage. I would think an emerging artist is something after that. This is someone who has come from a young artist program and there are they are trying to get their face out there. And a lot of times their focus is um, looking for an agent, getting an agent representation. I think a lot of times, even in hiring talent, a lot of times the committee, like at, even at, at a library looking at, oh, who are the young artists? But emerging artists do apply, but we never, I never saw them as separate, but that is true. 
You're absolutely correct. Yeah, emerging artists at that point in time, they they know that you should know your voice type. You should know, and again, the voice changes. Don't don't get me wrong. As it you does. Go, it may deepen. It may heighten. It may, you know, you may start off as one type of soprano, then end up being another type of soprano. You never know where it's going to take you. I would have to say, you know, we always want to know what's a day like in in Jesse Norman's life, or what's a day like in yes. Leontine Price's life, or Luciano Pavarotti, or Brent Turkle, singers that were before me right. and, and were considered at that time stars, you know, opera stars. So um, one event that stands out to me was when I was singing at La Scala. I was making my debut at La Scala and doing Porgy and Bess singing Serena. I was in the dressing rooms. The dressing rooms are very small. It's an old opera house. And there are pictures all over the place. You know, there are photos of different stars and autographs and things like that. For me, it's hollowed ground. You know, I don't know who was in here. Maybe this this particular, maybe Leontine was sitting here at this dressing table. And maybe Maria Callas was sitting at this dressing. You know, you, you just never know. So La Scala was a wonderful experience. But the, the one thing I wanted to talk about was um, coming out afterwards, after the show. And there are dozens of people at the stage door. Mm-hmm. You would expect that as a singer, you know, you've seen that you come out of the stage door and there are people that want autographs and want pictures and want to speak to you and blah, blah, blah. And tell you how wonderful they thought your performance was. Mm-hmm. But La Scala was something totally different. Mm-hmm. You know, La Scala audience, you know, everybody knows this. It's like the Apollo. They will boo you if they do not like you. They'll boo yes. you in the middle of your aria if you are not singing it well. To have them there asking for my autograph afterwards was, was wonderful, but it wasn't just that. It was having them there, the next performance on the way into the theater, asking for an autograph. Wow. That was amazing. I'm just like, okay, so I'm getting a little bit of an idea what it's like to be this quote unquote star in this production and having, having audience members waiting outside before as you're walking in. To, to get ready, wanting an autograph and a picture. So it, it was, La Scala was a great, great, great experience. And I wish everyone the opportunity to sing at La Scala. I'm going to say it. I put that above the Metropolitan Opera. Experiences is what make you a better singer, a better performer, a better artist. If you were to stand on stage and you had an auditorium full of the next stars in opera. And when I say star, it doesn't have to be somebody that it, that does uh, star roles. They could be compromarios too. You have a mm-hmm. lot of compromario performers, like um, who's one that I love? Ferruccio Furonetto. Mm-hmm. I love him. Um, but if you were on stage and you had to say something to these people, what would you say? Don't drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> What's the Kool-Aid, Angela? Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Okay. So these times are different than when I came up. Just like the times were different for the ones before me. Every generation is something different. Um, you are a business. You're an artist who happens to run a business. Right. That, and that is your artistry. Your artistry is your business. You have to think of it that way. Gone are the days of opera houses making stars. They don't make stars anymore. 
so they true. do not make opera houses do not make stars if that's your responsibility of you being a star if you walk in as a star sing as a star every now everyone else will see you as a star i think if you if you think of it as a business if you think of it analytically yes and not emotionally yes 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 you will do much you will you will do much much better in yes. this career yes don't put all don't put everything into it don't put everything into this. have something else to, uh, some other thing that you can do to monetize something else that you can monetize because again this business comes in way you, you may have a career where you're singing three four five six seven years back to back in a row which is very hard to do but it can be done it's very difficult to do and then you may have a time where the phone's not ringing at all for a year or two i don't know what the reason could be for that it could be a pandemic. Yeah. It could be the recession. It could be, you know, any num any number of things. I'm going to interject this as as working backstage, or it could be that it's not the director's vision. Right. Director, a uh, conductor may have a vision that you do not fit in. Doesn't mean that you are a terrible singer. Don't take it personally. Don't right. take it personally. And I think that's one of the reasons why. I like what I do because it has you think analytically about things. You don't get so caught up in the emotion of, I got to do it. I got to do it. You have to get stuff done, but it, ha it, it makes you think and look at things from an analytical standpoint. Too much control has been given and who's singing what has been given to the directors. I think it should go back to the conductors who choose a singer on their merit and not what they look like. And whether that be, whether they are black, whether they are white, whether they are Asian, whether they are five foot two or six foot four, or, you know, you could have a soprano who's five ten that sings Julietta down, down, but she's too tall in their vision, she's too tall. They're going to pick the 5-4 soprano. Oh, yes. I was told that. I was told that by a hiring person at a said opera company. And I was told that, yeah, within the last, this person told me within the last 10 years, it's changed from, okay, I want a soprano with this range and this ability to what height she needs to be, this height, have the, the vocal ability now but they need to look like this. Well, what if they don't have the vocal depth? But see, this is the problem. If they don't have, they look like, they look like everything you want, but they do not have the vocal ability. Then what do you do? They, t they take that one that don't have the vocal ability. Mm. Now we know this, we've seen this. So that, that's, yeah, that's something. That's a whole other subject. But we've seen it. We've seen it time and time again. I remember when it was up to when it was up to the conductor, the director did have some input. I'm not going to sit there and say that they didn't have some input, but the, it was up to the conductor. They would the conductor would always be there at the auditions to hear the voices. They liked what they liked, and they hired on the conductor's recommendation. If this is incorrect, anybody who is watching this and and, and I am wrong, please let me know. <laughs> 
Yes, he's like, open to again, I don't know what happens, but I, I hear things. What I'm getting at is that sometimes the vocal quality is gone. They lean more toward the aesthetic than the vocal quality. And for me, that it's not going to make the audience happy. Well, when you say audience, though, the audience is changing. And I think that th this is a very important time for Juicy Interludes to launch. You know, you have an audience that's been going to the opera for the last 40 years and they're aging out. Yeah. So now I'm thinking from an analytical perspective, okay, what you're saying that people are hiring based on how people look and the voice. I'm not just saying that is one, well, one over the other, but if a person is just getting into opera, they've never heard the people from back in the day and they're just getting into it. You're you know what happens though? You're changing the aesthetic of why and how people listen to voices. Right. That's the, that's what's happening. I believe me, I've done master classes where I would talk about certain voices and they didn't know who that person was. And that's a shame. Well, wait, wait, wait. But like who? Just give me one person. Let's say Simon Estes. Simon Estes. Didn't know who he was. Now, mind you, his career was made in Europe, but he's still yeah. an American. Well, wait Had a minute. No These are students now that didn't know? I'm talking about master classes that I've done and when I bring yeah. up you know, names. Renata Scato. Yes, didn't know who she was. I, I mean, I understand, but if, you, if you're going into a profession, you need to know who, who did the profession before you. Yeah. What can you learn from them? You know, read, read up on them. Read If there's any books about them, read up on them. Mm. You know, uh, see what they were about. What kind of career did they have? what lessons that they learned that they can impart on you. Even though it was a different time period, there may, there probably is something that you can learn. You can always learn from any, any, any person, anyone else's experience you can always learn from, no matter if they're 28 yeah. to 80, you know, you can learn from someone, someone else's experience. But you know what? I think it's the generation too. We, we are bogged down, and now I'm speaking from a librarian's perspective. We're bogged down by so much information. Mm -hmm. You go on YouTube, within a click of a button, you look up Old Mio Babino Caro, you got so many renditions of it. Yeah. I'm yeah. going back to back in the day when I was going to college. I worked at a library. That's where I found out my information. I had an encyclopedia set in my room. So when I tell my, my nieces and nephews that they're like, you had an encyclopedia set? I had World Book. I that had our Google. <laughs> yes, that was our Google. And then there was another one, but this one was for black singers. I had, okay. it was a thick volume. I have to ask my mom what it was, but it was like a black encyclopedia. And in that encyclopedia, I learned about Shirley Barrett, Grace Bunbury, God rest her soul, George Shirley, Rary Grist. That's where I learned about those those singers, Simon Estes. But nowadays, the it seems like the more information you have, the less educated you can be. Hmm. Depending on how you take in that information, and that's what's happening. We have so much information, and then if you're on social media. You know, social media is, there are some good channels, you know, but 
you have so much stuff. It's not, how, how do these, how do these younger singers get to the right thing? It takes people like us mm-hmm. and professors and stuff to talk to them, to tell them. To tell them, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so so the pandemic is easing up. Where do you hope that the opera industry gets accomplished now that the the pandemic is, is easing up? Where do, you, where do you see that? I want the opera industry to reach millions of people. I'm tired of opera being the big fish in the small pond. Meaning when you just work in an opera house or amongst opera people and your your feed, your social media feed is just that, you tend to think that the world knows what's going on. I'm gonna go back to one of the reasons why the criticism came. I'm going to go on record to say, I'm not criticizing what was done with the platforms. Everybody did what they could do and they excelled in what they did and it made a difference with their careers. I applaud you for that. When you can reach millions of people and you can affect different industries in a tremendous way, you get to the point where opera is known and is relatable even if a person never stepped foot in an opera house. This is so timely. I was reading an article this morning uh, about Taylor Swift and they were saying how just her tour alone, of course we know it's generating hundreds of millions of dollars, but the people who are working in Etsy, who are creating their own fashion lines based on her tour are making a pretty penny. It's about affecting a mass amount of people because when you do that, your wealth is spread throughout. Uh, So that's what I'd like to see. And I think it can happen. I think that it can reach millions of people and touch even more lives, even those who, you're not gonna get everybody to come to the opera house, but you can have people who never gone be so familiar with opera that they're buying more records. They're following more opera singers. I would love to see that. I believe opera should become more mainstream. There used to be a time when they had the Grammy, the televised version of the Grammys. There was always an opera, a classical section, whether it be an instrumentalist or a singer. The thing that stood in my mind the most, and no, it was not Aretha Franklin, God rest her soul, singing this on Dorma. That's a whole other show. (laughs) I thought you were going to mention her. the show was Harlan Blackwell. Harlan Blackwell sang Summertime, the Simon Rattle production, which was recorded. Mm-hmm. She opened up the show. You could hear a pin drop after she finished that last note between her singing, the music ending, and the crazy applause. They had never heard anything like that. They were they were beyond, I mean, people were on their feet. Mm-hmm. And I, that, stuck, that sticks with me. Classical music had always been part of the Grammys. So it wasn't unfamiliar to the audience. But that type of singing was glorious. And that's where I want opera to get back to. I want the audience to hear something that's so, not only the audience inside the theater, but the audience watching on television. Right, right. Here's something so glorious. Look, Maria Callas, Renata Dabaldi, always on page six. What happened to that? nobody's interested anymore. Opera is not this elitist form. 
you got to get out of that. You got to get a break that stereotypes. If we can do that, make it just as interesting, just as common as going to see a movie, then I think we can accomplish something. This is Juicy Interludes, not your typical opera podcast with your host, Angela Renee Simpson. And remember, you don't have to listen to me, but you do have to listen to your audience.